a Celtics series that has gone more smoothly than I think many would have thought going into it, considering what the Celtics had, the losses they have suffered this year. They're up 2-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks going into Game 3 on Friday. It's Thursday, I'm Bobby Manning, and this is the Celtics Blog Podcast, the official Celtics blog.com show the banners broadcast right now up on the site we got Chris Grenham discussing Al Horford series now there was a lot of discussion late this season about Horford's decline whether or not he'd be a key cog going into the postseason considering his scoring numbers since the all-star break Steady broke on game one with 22, 12, and 4. Followed it up with a rock solid game two. And after the stress of that game one, Chris Middleton hitting the shot from 40 feet over Jalen Brown. And forcing overtime. Celtics were able to escape in overtime. Giannis has posted two 30 point games. Perhaps uh, two outcomes that wouldn't have gone in the Celtics' favor instead. They're in the driver's seat of the series, and a lot of it is because of Al Horford, who has facilitated aggressively taking over 10 shots each game, getting into double-figure scoring. He's been crucial. And then on the other side, it is turmoil. You can see why a lot of people want to see the Bucks in this series. 15 turnovers in Game 2. Game 1, they posted 20. Giannis follows out, Eric Bledsoe follows out, and he has had his share of troubles. In fact, he gave up the crossover jumper that should have won the Celtics the game in regulation in that game, but Middleton did his thing after that. So after game two, they ask him. Terry Roger has been all over him. Game one, Roger posts 23 points. Game two, he comes out again and follows that up. Guarded by Bledsoe, dropping 23 points again. This time with eight assists on eight of 14 shooting. So Roger has been on his game. Marcus Morris is providing scoring. Jalen Brown, the youngest player with 30 points in a playoff game since Tommy Heinsohn in the f- decades ago. I want to say 50s. I think it was the 50s, late 50s. We're going to get to all of that today with our guest, Jimmy Toscano. But be sure to check out Grenham's uh, article on Barkley. Also, of course, we got the terrible news. Marcus Smart's mother diagnosed with cancer. We're going to get to all of that in today's show. Of course, if you want to get this show every single week, you can find it on the CLNS Media app and... Get it on iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe. Thank us for our service. Providing you the best Celtics content out there. Here we go. Let's talk to Jimmy Toscano. Without further ado, he was live at Game 1 and Game 2. So we'll get a little look inside the garden. Where uh, Bledsoe had a thing or two to say about Roger following Game 2. 
Giannis, he loves to push the ball. Uh, Drew Bledsoe, he loves to push the ball. You got Chris Middleton who makes tough shots. And we just try to uh, limit them to what they're good at and by just being long off the ball and just showing our presence. And we, I feel like we did a great job at that. Rozier's gotten off to a, a strong start to the series. No turnovers in 78 minutes. How personally do you take that matchup? Who? Terry Rozier. I don't even know who that is. Here he is. Former Celtic squad contributor and current Garden Report star, should I say? Um, you know, superstar is probably more like it, but I'll go with star. All right. We'll roll with that. <laughs> CLNS <laughs> Media's Jimmy Toscano is here. He was present for Game 1 and Game 2 of what's been a demolition. Celtics over Bucks 2-0, and we're breaking down the first two games of this series. Of course, the place to go. We are. For the stories at CelticsBlog.com, we're getting into some of the uh, topics we're covering on there today. Jimmy, I'll ask you first. Uh, what what worried you most coming into this series besides the fact that the uh, Celtics seem brutally undermanned coming out of the season? And uh, how has that played out? Yeah, it's uh, one word, Giannis. I said this, you know, once the, the matchup was out there, I said... You know, I'm more, I was more hoping the Celtics would play a team like the Heat because there isn't really that one guy that can... I mean, I guess maybe it's Dwayne Wade now that we've seen what he did uh, in, uh, the, the night before. But I would say Giannis is just that type of guy. Like, superstar players scare me on the other team. We see it all the time with LeBron or whoever else it may be. You know, obviously with the Warriors, they've got guys. With the Rockets, it's Harden. Um, superstars win in the NBA more than any other sport. So when you play a team like the Bucks, where they have a budding superstar like Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's going to worry you a little bit. So my, And we know the Celtics have had trouble guarding him in the past. I think he scored over 20 points in the last, I think I read, nine games that he's played against them. Mm-hmm. So you know you can automatically just say 20 points, but I think you got to pretty much say 30 points, especially in the playoffs. And that was my concern is that he would just go off they would have no way to guard him and that they wouldn't have enough scoring on their end to counteract the scoring that he was providing because the Bucks aren't a very deep team as we're seeing. Um, so they're a little bit top heavy. It's pretty much Giannis and, and Middleton. And after that, it's like pray for rain, you know? So it's playing out that way too, but the Celtics are finding ways to score on offense. So they're kind of, they're, they're canceling that out a little bit, but that was my biggest concern was Giannis. So far they've, been able to let him do what he does and minimize the damage um, by everybody else. And the main reason behind that, I think, is turnovers. There's been some notable moments in this series so far. The Chris Middleton shot. I'm sure you were Uh, ready to go downstairs (laughs) and do press conferences, and then overtime hits you out of nowhere there. Uh, And then game two, you had Eric Bledsoe's choice words that we can't say on the Celtics blog podcast about Terry (laughs) Rocher, which came at a weird moment. Normally you'd expect to hear that before a series, not after uh, Rocher's poured however many points he has on him at this point. Of course, what would have been the game winner in game one as well. Right. It, it it's not looking good for Milwaukee. You know that stands out as a notable moment of frustration and just uh, lack of discipline for them, which has been talked about. It's why a lot of people were rooting for them to be the Celtics' opponent in round one. We know how disappointing they've been over the years, despite their mm-hmm. talent. They've really become the new poster child, the disappointment in the NBA. The Clippers were up there for a while, and now they're taking that spot. It looks like. Uh, what is going on with them? I mean, I even saw a moment in Game <laughs> Two where. Jason Terry just got blown by by Shane Larkin, and Terry just kind of threw the ball up the court to whoever wanted it. They, they seem like they're falling apart right now. Have they have they lost themselves in this series already? 
I think in a, in, a, in a way they have. I think, and this isn't a shot at anybody in particular, but I think there's a lack of leadership over in that organization for sure. I mean, with a guy like Giannis, I mean, of course, he's a he's a superstar in the making. Uh, he's extremely talented, but I'm not sure he's there yet leadership-wise to, to carry that team. And you see the veterans, guys like Bledsoe. I mean, these guys, I mean, he just got traded over there recently. Mm-hmm. They went through a coaching change throughout the year. Obviously, Kidd was not the right fit over there. So I think they're having a little bit of identity crisis. And yeah, their histories, the history speaks for itself. I think that plays a part too. There isn't that, you know, recent winning vibe. I mean, these guys haven't won a playoff series in God knows how long. I, I, I think it's been almost a decade. So there is not much of a winning culture over there. Um, you kind of have to see it to believe it sort of thing. And when the Celtics came out the way they did and won these first two games, I don't know how much mental fortitude this Bucks team has. We're about to find out. I don't think they're going to roll over and die at their at their home court. But at the same time, I'm not sure they have enough talent and desire to take this series where it needs to go in order for them to pull it out. If you looked at game two, it felt like the Celtics, even when it was like the first or second quarter when they weren't up 20, it felt like they were up 20 because they were energetic. They were getting those 50-50 balls. They were turning the ball over. They were dunking on everybody. I made a joke that Desi Linden, you know, the mar- the marathon winner, she was she was honored uh, in between quarters. I made a joke that she dunked on on Jabari Parker because there's another guy. I mean, he's coming off an injury and he's not where he needs to be. Mar- Malcolm Brogdon, he's coming off an injury, he's not where he needs to be. So this team, I'm not sure that they're as good as what maybe what their record indicates, and maybe they maybe they aren't a playoff team. You know, maybe they snuck in because they had a. Good, they, I know they had that very very hot stretch right after they fired Kid. If you recall, they went on a huge winning streak, and that kind of propelled them into a playoff ranking there. Um, but I'm just not sure they have the talent or the wherewithal to carry this thing through. Yeah, the the talent is there, I would say, but it's just not coming together. The top heaviness, Middleton, Giannis, they're getting That's it, done. the top heaviness. They're getting they are done, getting but... but where's where's the depth? Where's the where's that bench? I mean, they're, they're getting nothing from their bench. Tony Snell is nowhere to be found. The two bigs, Tyler Snell, <laughs> never... back in town. Tony Snell is... Never been found. I can't, <laughs> I, he's he's just permanently lost. MIA in the NBA. I'm not sure how he continues to get as much playing time as he does. And I mean, but that's the state of the Bucks right now. Well, think of the move. I I just looked it up. Seven straight playoff losses for them since their last there you go. Uh, okay. last series win in 2001. Uh, it has been a long losing history throughout the 2000s <sighs> for them, and just seems to Seven continue straight. even with even with the superstars they've assembled there or the superstar i would say in Giannis. right uh, right so i'm not going to ask you the dumb question is boston winning this series or is milwaukee losing it because it's obviously both but we are going to sure. get into what boston's doing right because i remember jared weiss said it going into the series scoring was probably going to be a trouble for an issue for this team but they're getting it done in that department whether it's Morris, Tatum was good mm-hmm. in game one, and then Brown has the first uh, 30-point bomb since uh, Tommy Heinsohn as a player that young in the playoffs. There's a yeah, stat for you. That is a stat. <laughs> so, what is Anytime it? you can bring Tommy Heinsohn into a stat, you know it's been there for a while. <laughs> yeah, and Tommy actually <laughs> didn't remember that game. So that, <laughs> was, that was pretty low among his achievements, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so... What is Stevens doing? I mean, every at every turn, it feels like we got to praise Brad Stevens this season for what he's done. But uh, what is going right for him in this series? He's forcing a ton of turnovers. Uh, they're getting scoring out of multiple players, including Shane Larkin in Game 2 after his 
rough game one. But uh, what, what do you think is the number one factor in their success if you just take the Bucks' struggles out of it? Yeah, I just think it's it's what he's been doing since he became a coach in the NBA, and that's kind of like playing to players' strengths and putting them in positions to succeed and do what they do. Now that sounds like I'm just like BSing, but it's actually true. Like, and you just mentioned Shane Larkin. I mean, here's a guy who's super quick, speedy, has a nice little shot, can move, and they put him in the games in spurts. They, and they say, "Do your thing, be you." Energy, energy, energy the whole way through. If you watch Shane Larkin play, he's going 100 miles an hour out there for. Maybe it's a three-minute spurt, but that's better than putting him out there for the six- or seven-minute stretch where he's going, you know, 70%. Because that, then you can take advantage of his height or you can take advantage of other factors in his game. But, he, I mean, and you can go all the way back to, like, a guy like Evan Turner. I mean, he just knows what players do well. He speaks to players. They believe in him. He's obviously extremely good at, at drawing up plays. Mm-hmm. And he gives guys confidence. And when you give a guy confidence, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, it could be the worst player in the NBA. If you, if you give him enough confidence to believe that he's not the worst player and that he's actually a pretty damn good player, you'll start to see that. Now, there's obviously nobody like that on the Celtics, but I just really appreciate how Brad Stevens gets guys to think out there on the court, think about the next guy, making that extra pass, and he's just always, I feel like they're just always one step ahead. So that's kind of what I've appreciated about him. Now, if you bring the the Bucks in a perspective, if you bring the Bucks into this, what I would assume Brad Stevens is telling his guys and what I'm seeing is force them to take shots, force them to take bad shots because they don't like to shoot. They don't like to take three-pointers. Look, I mean, just 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 watch. I mean, they're constantly trying to drive. They're trying to score in the paint. That's why they're shooting 60% because all their points are very closer, to, much closer to the basket. Sure, you've got Middleton who's a sharpshooter, but aside from that, I mean, Giannis, he doesn't like to shoot, shoot from deep, and there's really nobody else out there that does. So I think Brad Stevens is forcing – uh, the Bucks players to shoot from the outside, and, and he's telling his guys like, "Don't give up the easy baskets, you know. Like, switch if you have to. Keep keep the guys in front of you, and and make them take some tough shots." And that's what we're seeing. What does this series so far say to you about the Celtics in the playoffs so far? Have uh, has it shown you that this team might have the ability to compete more than many people thought? Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I've writ- probably written them off just as much as the next guy. Well, you know, whether it was when Hayward went down. Obviously, throughout the year, they've had their fair share of things, and obviously, times 10, when Kyrie went down, I mean, that was kind of it. Everybody was writing the Celtics' eulogy after that. I mean, sure, they were going to make the playoffs because of where they already were in the standings, but you knew that opposing teams, you know, seven, uh, six, seven, and eight seeds may or may have been trying to line themselves up to play with the Celtics yep. in the first round, and the one thing you got to say about them and this goes back to what I said about Brad Stevens, is he gets guys to believe in each other, gets guys to believe in themselves. And I don't know how many more times I can write this team off. I'm looking at them now, and I'm looking at who their potential opponent could be. Um, and I don't – who would be surprised if they ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals? I don't think I would be surprised. They've gone a good road. That's certainly gone their way, and not many things have gone their way this year. So that might have been a good bit of karma that they're not going to have to see Toronto, Cleveland, or maybe Indiana right. round two. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen yeah, over there? Yeah, Cavs, Cavs took uh, game two there, so who knows how that's going to go. But you're right. I mean, that second-round matchup, I would love to see Celtic Sixers uh, oh, yeah. in the second round. That would just be so much fun, up-tempo, um, you know, two young teams – that are exciting and they're and they're going to be in the thick of things for years to come. And a lot of people love the Sixers, and I get it. They're the they're the hottest team going in the playoffs. But the one thing I'll say that Celtics have, even though they lost it with they lost some of it when Kyrie went down, 
is they do have, I, I like their veteran leadership a little bit more. I like the fact that Al Horford is on the Celtics yep. and not on the Sixers. And I know that Al Horford is going to take his licks and he's going to take his criticism, but I would rather have Al Horford on my team than on the other side because in the playoffs, he's that cool, calm, and collected guy. He's that level-headed guy that, you're, listen, you're going to get plenty of energy from the Rosiers, from the from the Browns, right, from the Tatums, and you're, you're, you might even get smart back. Well, you know, that sounds like that's a real possibility. You need a guy like Horford and another veteran, Marcus Morris, coming off the bench who's been awesome. Um, on the offensive end for them. So I actually like the Celtics in that series, and I think they would be the underdogs. I, I, I would be, If the Sixers advance, I think the Sixers would be the favorites. But I still like the Celtics in that series because some of those guys have been there, and they are going to continue to play that underdog card, even though a lot of those players have already proven that they shouldn't have to play that card. But they will continue to play that card. I called out Horford as the X Factor coming into this series. It was plain to me that when we did our little preview here the night that uh, we found out it was going to be the Bucks, that he he managed to at least slow Giannis at certain points, which at least feels like maybe right. he's holding him under 30 points. I think Stevens was talking about that too. Like slowing this guy is a pretty relative yeah. term. And the same thing seems to apply with Embiid too. Well, Horford's been put into those big matchups this year defensively, and it's a reason his success and the success of the team on the defensive end it's a big reason he's probably going to be a defensive player of the year candidate. But uh, oh, a lot sure. of people were upset with the scoring later in the year, how low yep. his scoring total was, the shooting took a big dip. And I was wondering, I heard him say, you know, I'm excited for the playoffs. He seemed to be coasting at moments to me. Do you get the sense that he was just sort of saving this for the playoffs and now he's just letting it all loose a little bit? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he was saving it. I, I think there is some aspect of that. I think when you're a veteran in this league – you do know how to, you know, play out the remainder of the year. You do have to save some level of energy for for the playoffs, of course. Uh, I don't think he was purposely trying to take less shots or score less, but I also don't think that he's, you know, listening to the radio or reading the newspapers. He <laughs> really hears what people are saying about him, and I think he's he's pretty confident in his game. I kind of made a somewhat wild comparison um, after Game Two on the Garden Report. I don't know if it's the episode's even out yet, but we were comparing. We were like jokingly comparing the the 08 team, you know, with the 10 year anniversary coming up to this year's team, and I kind of made a comparison of Kevin Garnett and Al Horford, mm. and bold. and very bold, very bold. But if you hear me out, you might you might see where we're coming from. It's it's obviously not intensity wise. Okay, Kevin yeah. Garnett is a one of a kind intensity guy. The polar opposites um, in that sense. You could even say polar opposites. Once in a while, you'll get a rah rah about Horford. <laughs> he'll make a big play and he'll he'll try to you know give you a little fist pump. But I'm not making that comparison. What comparison I am making is that Al Horford, a lot of people would say, is the defensive anchor on on that Celtics team right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would also say he's the facilitator on offense right now. And I think when you combine those two things, that's exactly what Kevin Garnett was for the Celtics. And let's also not forget, when Kevin Garnett came to Boston, one of the biggest knocks on him was that he wasn't shooting the ball enough, he wasn't taking the last shot, he was always deferring to somebody else. People were going crazy about that. And people, I think a lot of people have forgotten that because of obviously how it played out and, and the effect Kevin Garnett had on the Celtics over the years. But I do see some of that in Al Horford, and that's where I kind of come, come with that comparison. So I agree with you. Al Horford is a hugely important part of this team and the X Factor. I mean, I don't even know if he should be the X Factor because I think he's so much more important where maybe we should have all realized, hey, like 
and I think some of us were thinking like, okay, playoff Al, he's going to come around. You know, once once things pick up here, game seventy nine doesn't really mean a whole lot. But there were also the other other side of things where it's like, well, some people they can't just flip the switch. And if this is what we kind of been seeing Al Horford trend to here in the second half of the year, we're not so sure if he has that ability to flip the switch because he's not really that flip switching type guy. You know, he's not like a KG where he can just turn it on or even like a Marcus Smart type guy. But obviously in game one he was awesome. Um, and in game two, he was just just as reliable, dependable self. And 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 yeah, defensive player of the year. I'm not sure he's gonna win it, but he, the fact that he's in the running uh, goes to show how important he's been. And I think I'm not 100% on this. I'll have to check the stats. I think he defends more shots than any other player in the NBA. Um, if you look at that stat, I, yeah. I looked at it earlier this year, and he was at the top. And I think he stayed there because he's just always in the right place. He never takes plays off. He's long. He's guarding, you know, whether it's inside or outside, he can guard both. So he's always in somebody's face and making shots difficult. He might not get a hand on it, but he's altering shots, and sometimes that's all it takes. So he's he's huge for them. And it's easy to see why he does get the flack he does. Remember the All-Star game, last guy picked? Yeah. Everyone sees him out there, and they're like, what's this guy doing in the All-Star game? It's it's the division between the flashiness and right. the X's and O's man's dream, which is what he really is. You know, the basketball heads who are breaking down film all day love this guy. People right. who are watching for the highlights, not so much. But he's been And aggressive. that's the NBA. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's the NBA. Sorry to cut you off. But of the league. Exactly. I mean, you, you, you have fans who they want to see the, cro- the nasty crossover and the high-flying dunk. And Roger's going to give you that. <laughs> right, exactly. You're, you're still going to – listen, if you watch the Celtics, you're going to get some of that, okay? But it might be Al Horford helping make that happen. <laughs> you're just not going to get it from him. And yep. that's fine. And obviously with the $30 million a year, the price tag, you can get into a whole nother, whole nother video about that. But I think you know, my, my point is I think Al Horford is, is a huge part of this team in similar ways that Kevin Garnett was, just not as obvious maybe to um, to us. A few more uh, things I want to hit on here, but before we get to that, we have gotten a little ahead of ourselves so far, so I do have to ask, is this okay. series over? <laughs> I'll never call a series over after... It's not over until somebody wins on the road. I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. So no, it's not over. Um, the Celtics did what they had to do, right? I mean, if, if the Bucks had won one of those two... We're all singing a different. If Game One goes to Milwaukee, we're singing a different tune tonight, okay? Um, because the Bucks can, you know, obviously they come back to to Milwaukee and they could they could win two at home. So if they win two at home, which is possible, it's anybody's series again. So it's not over yet. I mean, I think Game Three is is a huge a huge one for Boston. If they can win Game Three, then yeah, the series is obvious. I'm not breaking any news here. If Celtics go up three zero, you can pretty much put a nail on that. But I'm not willing to say it's over yet, although I do like the Celtics. I picked them in six to start the series, to start um, before the series started, and, and I think I would probably go down to five now. One of the big topics going into this series is that Marcus Smart did get that second opinion, and April 27th was the big date, the date that he could possibly return to the floor. But he's he's been out there before these games. I'm sure you've seen that, shooting around, looking pretty mm-hmm. spry. Uh, has there been any talk about a possibly imminent return with him? Because I think that would change the game for this team even more at this point. His net ratings were pretty rock solid this year, even Irving-esque. They drew pretty close comparison to the net ratings Irving was putting up on and off the court. So I think, you know, Rogier's done his part filling in for sure in the scoring uh, side of things. But Smart brings a completely different impact that this team has missed, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, I just think that if you add Marcus Smart back to the 
to the rotation, I mean, you're adding probably their best defensive player, right? I mean, along with Al Horford, mm-hmm. um, different types of guys, but he's a force. I mean, he's going to be a major, major uh, pest to the opposing team, and he's going to be that guy that gets under your skin like he always is. Has there been? Any, I haven't heard anything about him coming back any sooner than what we all heard, yep. which was Game Seven. Uh, you know, a game potentially Game Seven return if it gets there. If it gets there, that's a big if at this point. Um, they're not going to rush him back. They're definitely not going to do that because there's no sense in rushing a guy back and then the, the thumb, you know, something happens again to it, and now he's really out for the rest of the playoffs. You got to be careful with it. But I guarantee you that when he's cleared to play from the doctors, Brad Stevens will find a way to put him in there. I do worry a little bit. I'm a, I like Marcus Smart. I do worry about how putting him back into the rotation on offense changes things. Is that less Terry Rozier? You know, is that less Jalen Brown? You know, who's going to lose up? Is it less Shane Larkin, most likely, uh, who's been playing well? So someone's going to lose out from it. Um, and I, I do I do worry a little bit on what he does to them on offense at times. I don't like some of the shots he takes. You know, sometimes he gets a little too carried away if he's feeling it. Um, and I, I think he takes bad shots more than um, other guys on that team. Let's put it that way. So I'd watch out for that. And I want to see how the thumb affects him on offense. Um, you know, how, that, how, how does it affect the shot, if at all? I, I don't know if it would. Um, but that's definitely something we'll, that we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that um, as that nears. Um, so, yeah, it should be, should be very interesting. But there's not many teams in the NBA who are going to get a player back. I mean, there's a couple. Embiid, somebody that will, that will come back and help the Sixers, but there's not a lot of them who are going to get a player back at this stage of the season that really, really can help them. I don't want to neglect to mention the fact as well that uh, we've heard the terrible news that his mother is fighting cancer now as well. Yeah. Um, you Very know, sad. He, he uh, probably wanted to leave the team, and she was the one who pushed him to stay with them out there. Um, mm-hmm. Was anyone talking about that at the Garden? Was that a topic of discussion at all? Not that I heard personally. Um, I think that would be something that's a little bit more personal and that you, you, you might bring that up to – you might try to figure out a way to bring that up to Marcus in, in, in a way that would make him feel comfortable talking about it. Obviously, last year when, when Isaiah Thomas lost his sister – um, that was kind of a, a moment that really came out of nowhere and shocked a lot of people and saddened a lot of people. This mm-hmm. isn't to that magnitude, you know, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, we obviously hope that she goes through the treatments and everything goes, goes well. Um, and I can bet you, you know, n- you know, knowing the type of player and guy Marcus is, I, I, I can guarantee you that there's going to be a little fire, you know, a little fire lit under him, a little extra motivation and passion in his game, you know, dedicating, you know, these next, few games to, you know, however many games are, are left in the season, um, you know, he's going to have that extra extra little momentum going, thinking of her. Yeah. Because that's, that's what she wants. She told him that. I mean, she basically said, get back, you know, get back on the court. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough thing. We've, of course, saw Isaiah's situation there. Jay Crowder lost his mother through the yep. uh, course of last season, too. It's this just t- you don't like to it's see tough. that again a year later it's something that happens no, these guys you know heads, what yeah. it, it, it's tough but it, it's it's a diagnosis and you know i don't know the the serious i don't know the the specifics of it but um you just gotta you know hope that in today's modern medicine that that, that they can that they can cure it and a lot of yeah. people there's a, there's a lot of cancer survivors out there so you just got to stay positive and i'm sure that's what he's trying to do and what what he's what he is doing and that's probably what his, what his mom's doing too, and she wants him to focus on the. I'm sure that she wants him to focus on himself, getting back on the court and helping his team win, and not worry about her. And she's going to get all the help and treatment that she can get. 
Yep, and that's what we were out there running for on Monday. That'll represent. Wow, there you go. You, you, you're out there? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, my running goodness. For, dude. Uh, running for my, in my dad's memory, who, of course, had his fight with cancer as well. I Respect. wrote about that over there on Celticsblog.com. Uh, and thanks to everyone who gave uh, their well wishes and you know That's support awesome. through that story, too. So we've all been touched by it in some way, I feel like. It's, it's a, sounds oh, like yeah. a cliche, but it really is true. So Definitely. Glad we could end this on the human side of things because I do think we get bogged down in the X's and O's a lot of the time. And I agree. There's a lot of bigger stories out there than basketball. So Jimmy Toscano, glad you could carry through it with us and enjoy the rest of the series, man. We appreciate you having bring, coming back to the blog. As you went yeah, yep. I'm around, Bob. I'm around. Let's do this again soon. That is our show for today. Continue to stick with the blog. We are loading up with articles covering the Celtics throughout the playoffs as their run continues. What a great work being done over there by our writers, Grenham, DePrisco, Jeff Clark, Bill Sy, organizing it all. I want to give a big shout out to Keith Smith, who continues to be a key cog for us over there. Um, and then, of course, Kungu and Doxy, who were on the show previewing the Bucks series before we came on here today following games one and two. I'm sure we'll have reaction to Friday and Sunday's game as the series turns over to Milwaukee. And we'll see whether the Bucks have truly rolled over the Celtics if they can continue to sustain the success offensively that they've created going on the road. I'm Bobby Manning. We will see you early next week. Two games, more in the books, more takeaways to be had. Good night. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden. Mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.